Good evening. The Bible is the, the very word of God uh, that has been given to us. So with uh, humility, uh, with reverence, and with our minds and our hearts centered on the God who has given us this precious word, let me encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. Uh, as you do that, let me say that I count it such a joy um, and an honor and uh, really a great privilege uh, to, uh, to be standing before you uh, to preach uh, uh, this evening. Uh, bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters uh, at Cross Point uh, Church. And uh, let me also say that our family is really, really glad uh, that we are here with you today, this morning. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, saying uh, that how much I remember how as elders at Cross Point, you know, many, many months even before uh, the name of this church was uh, chosen, uh, how we were praying, we were praying for this church. Um, so it's really encouraging uh, to be here, uh, and it's really been neat and quite amazing to see how, how the Lord has been so uh, gracious uh, and faithful and so good uh, to raise and establish uh, this church. Um, and as I was looking in this room earlier, um, I, I saw some very familiar faces, uh, people that we know, people that we love, and I also saw some many new faces as well, uh, which is a testament and evidence of how God uh, has been obviously building uh, and multiplying uh, his church here. So our text this evening, again, is found in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became imitators I'm sorry, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this great privilege that we have to, to open up your word. Uh, God, we, we are so desperate. 
We desperately need you, God, to, to open our eyes. Help us, God, to understand and help us to apply this text. Lead us, God. Guide us. We pray that you would convict us with your word and by your spirit, God. We pray uh, that if there's anybody in here in this room or anybody watching from home right now uh, who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, we pray uh, that they would hear the gospel, uh, that they would be drawn to your gospel. And God, we also pray that you would uh, strengthen uh, the believers that are gathered in this place. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me begin by uh, giving you all uh, a bit of background information uh, concerning this letter that we are studying, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So 1 Thessalonians, uh, the letter was written by the Apostle Paul around A.D. 51 uh, when Paul was in Corinth. In fact, uh, Paul wrote this letter uh, to this church uh, that he and uh, his associate Silas started or planted uh, in Thessalonica when Paul was on his second uh, missionary uh, journey. Uh, and for us to really uh, get a better context of this particular letter, Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn with me over there. Uh, and I'm going to be reading. Uh, this is essentially how the church in Thessalonica started. So as we talk about uh, the church in Thessalonica, I want you to keep in mind that this is how the church started. Now, this is uh, talking about Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is no other king, saying that there is no other king, Jesus, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And then uh, verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So Jesus had ascended to heaven, to be with God the Father. So the church is multiplying, the church is growing, and Paul 
along with his associate Silas, uh, on, their, on, their, on really Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, they're essentially going from city to city, uh, preaching the gospel, proclaiming the word of God uh, in the synagogues, and really to whoever is willing to listen uh, to them. But as they do that, you know, you see it's pretty obvious that they're facing a lot of opposition, and they're facing a lot of uh, really turmoil uh, as they preach the gospel, especially uh, from the Jewish uh, leaders uh, in the day. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, you know, we see that they are beaten, uh, they are imprisoned, they are persecuted, and then they are asked to leave. Literally, they are kicked out of the city. And then from Philippi, they go to Thessalonica, uh, which was located slightly less than 100 miles uh, southwest of Philippi. And then we get to Acts chapter 17. Uh, they go to, to Thessalonica, and then we hear pretty much how the church, you know, got started. Uh, so the Thessalonian church was very dear to Paul. I mean, he, he loved this church. He started this church, and he had to live so fast. Uh, as we can see, uh, pretty much when you look in uh, the book of First Thessalonians, you see how even in the greeting there, that Paul, you know, he, he really loved them. He was very thankful to God for this church. Uh, after planting this church uh, because of this persecution, because of this opposition, I mean, he just had to suddenly, suddenly go. So what I want us to do now is I want us to put together these two passages. Like when you think about Acts chapter 17, and when you think about uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want you to see that a healthy church is always striving to be gospel-centered, word-driven, and mission-minded to the glory of God. Let me say that again. A healthy church is always striving to be gospel-centered, word-driven, and mission-minded to the glory of God. So this is essentially going to be my thesis statement as I go through this uh, sermon. We, we're pretty much going to break down the statement. So it does us pretty well then to start off with a little bit of ecclesiology, uh, which is the doctrine of the church. So I want you to look again in verse 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. So the Thessalonians were a church. When Paul writes this letter to them, the Thessalonian church is only like a few months old. The members of this church are mostly newborn Christians who have been converted either from being Jews to being Christians or from being pagans to being Christians. And this young church is essentially uh, being tested by the persecution and the opposition that is, it's facing. So what is the church? Well, the church in the Greek language is the ekklesia. It is the called out ones. The church is the gathering of the people of God, those who are loved and chosen by God. I'm sure I don't have to say this to you, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Mid-tree church is the people, the people whom God has covenantly put together for his glory. Mitri Church has essentially, you have all moved from uh, being at the farmhouse to the Impact 360 location, to this location, 
and God willing, one day you will be in your own building. So you know quite well that the mention of the church refers to the people that gather together and not necessarily, it's not necessarily the building where they meet. So like I've said before, Paul was very thankful to God. He was very thankful to God, just like I'm thankful to God for you. Paul was very thankful to God for this church. The Thessalonian church we see was grounded in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, as verse 1 says. And the, the Thessalonian church was also characterized by three things. They were characterized by faith, they were characterized by hope, and they were characterized by love. Look in the Bible in verse 3. It says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see there the three things I mentioned, faith, hope, and love. So if, if you had to summarize it, so let, let's do a little summarization here. So what is the church? Uh, quick summary. When we look at the Thessalonian church, we can say that the church is the community of faithful believers of whom Jesus Christ is the head. They have been called by God, chosen by God, and they are essentially united by the faith they have in Christ, and they are led by the Holy Spirit. So let me say that again. The church is the community of faithful believers of whom Jesus Christ is the head, and they have been called and chosen by God, and they're essentially united by the faith they have in Christ. Uh, and when you look uh, in verse 5 and verse 6, it says in verse 5 that because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and then you drop to verse 6, it says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So you see that the, the Holy Spirit has a role to play in the church. So verse 4 shows us also, when you look in verse 4, it shows us that the church consisted of people who had the privilege to say that, they are loved by God. It consisted of the people that were loved by God. They were also chosen by God. Does that comfort you this evening? To know that God has chosen you. Like if you're a Christian. To know that God loves you, that he personally loves you and before the foundations of the earth wherever laid that he chose you so in other words as we think about the church we can say that the church is not a social club the church is not a place we just come to because of the wonderful children programs that are offered there the church is not like any social club it is not like any circular organization. It is not like a political movement. But oh, my dear friends, the church is much, 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 much more. It is infinitely much more. The church is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. 
It is magnificent. It is, it is glorious. It is, it, is, it is majestic. Because according to verse 1, it says that the church is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Christian. Christian. Do you realize that we are, uni we, we are united with God? No other organization can make that claim that they're united with the, with the holy God who created the universe. So is that how you see yourself? Is that how you view the church? When you think about the church, do you, do you see the church in that manner? Which leads us then to ask the question, how do we get there? Like, like in other words, how do we become united with, with God? Oh, which takes us to the gospel. Remember my mission, my, my, my uh, thesis statement again. A healthy church is always striving to be gospel-centered, word-driven, and mission-minded to the glory of God. So we have looked at what the church is. So now I want us to talk about what it means to be gospel-centered. So what do we learn about the gospel when we look at the passage? You know, it can be pretty easy for people to deceive themselves into thinking that they're a church when they're not. The reality of the matter is that when there's no gospel, there's no church. The Thessalonian church came to be because Paul and Silas had preached the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. This church, you know, Mitri Church, or any other church for that matter, stops it stops to be a church if the gospel stops to be the center of everything that happens here. I remember before this church was planted, you know, as we were brainstorming as elders at Crosspoint with Will, I remember how much we kept pressing and praying and praying to God that, that, that this church, Mitri Church, would be a healthy, gospel-centered church. And oh, what a joy it is. I was here worshiping with you a few weeks ago, and just to see how central the gospel is here, you know, that is something to be really celebrated. So you may be here today, perhaps the first time, and you are hearing this word gospel for the very first time, and you wonder, what is the gospel? Well, the definition I have for you here is not exhaustive, but I think it's helpful. It says the gospel is the good news of God's redemption of sinful humanity through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel really, if you think about it, it rests upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We sang it. He was born of a virgin. Fully God, fully man, and he lived a perfect, obedient life, a life that you and I could not live. He died an atoning, substitutionary death on the cross where he shed his blood for you and me. If you look in verse 10, it says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
The gospel is about being delivered from the wrath of God. And the gospel has everything to do about the physical resurrection, physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Again, verse 10 mentions that he was raised from the dead. So the bodily resurrection, if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have the gospel. The gospel is the good news because Jesus Christ conquered sin and death on our behalf. Think about that. He bore the wrath of God that should have been ours. If you had to bear the wrath of God, if you were exposed to it, you would just melt like that. And Jesus took the wrath of God. Our problem is that we are sinners. We have rebelled against the holy, righteous God. If we are not in Christ, essentially the Bible tells us and teaches us that we are dead in our sins. Turn with me in your Bibles again to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, this is a place where this is uh, the same person who wrote the book of Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, also wrote the letter of Romans. And uh, listen to what he says to them. Uh, he says here in verse 10, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And then you drop down to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have, all have sinned. If you're in this room, if you think sin is not a problem for you, the Bible clarifies it. All have sinned. And then you go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And, and uh, chapter 5, verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is the doctrine of imputation. Pretty much we learn that we are all born sinners because of what Adam has done. And we are all made righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So sin has been humanity's problem for ages, ever since Genesis chapter 3. But oh, the good news. The good news is that God has extended His love and mercy towards us sinners. If you turn to Psalm chapter 86, verse 5, it says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. To all who call upon him. Have you called on him? Oh, if you're not a Christian, call to him. 
call to him. The good news is that Jesus Christ has died for sinners. Writing to the Romans again in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love. He shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full, of, uh, full of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Oh, praise God for that reality. That is really good news. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the reason he came. He came to save us. But we have to realize, though, that it is not enough to just know that. It is just not enough just to know that Jesus came to save us. There has to be an authentic repentance and faith. Again, look in the text in the scripture. If you look in verse 9, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among them and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So the Thessalonians had repented from their sin of idolatry. Repentance means that there has to be a sincere, like a sincere turning from our sin to serve God. In other words, when we repent, there is a sorrow, a sorrow, a real, genuine sorrow for our sin. There is contrition. This means that we essentially feel the responsibility towards God for our wrongdoing. Just like David, when he sins and commits adultery and commits murder and he says have mercy upon me O god against you and you alone i have sinned and done what is evil in your sight when people repent they turn from their idols to serve the living and the true god like verse 9 says when sinners repent because of what jesus did what happens is that they escape the judgment of God. They escape the wrath of God. When sinners repent because of what Jesus did, they receive the forgiveness of God. When sinners repent because of what Jesus did, they are adopted into the family of God and they are no longer enemies. When sinners repent, they are reconciled to a holy God. That's what happens when sinners repent. The gospel is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, did you notice uh, in the greeting... 
It says grace to you and peace. That's the summary of the gospel right there. God saves us by his grace. And as a result, we end up with the peace of God. So as I speak about the gospel, let me ask you, have you been saved? Are you trusting in God's grace to save you from your sins today? Do you have this peace that comes from God in your heart? Have you repented of your sins? Oh, dear friends, if you have not, if you have not done that, I urge you today to repent. Turn away from your sin and believe the gospel. Now, if I can be vulnerable for just a few minutes. This past week has been really, really difficult and heavy for our family. I got word on Monday uh, that my uncle in Zimbabwe, whom I love dearly, had died from COVID. And then on Thursday, I got word that my dearest aunt, who I love dearly, died as well from COVID. So this week has been very, it's been very, very sobering. It's been a sobering reminder that we are not promised tomorrow. We are not promised tomorrow. So if you are not trusting in Jesus today, I urge you to repent. We are not promised tomorrow. Do not delay. Do not. Why? Why should you believe the gospel? Verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The gospel is full of power. To the Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Oh, my dear friends, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The power of charisma does not save. The power of positive thinking does not save. The power of entertainment or entertaining people from the pulpit does not save. Preaching politics or social justice or psychology from the pulpit does not save. The gospel has to be preached. The gospel has the power to save. A healthy church is always striving to be gospel-centered 
word-driven, mission-minded to the glory of God. So let's move on to how the church is supposed to be word-driven. So the word of God was essentially at the center of everything, everything that the Thessalonians did. And really when you think about it, the word of God was at the center of everything that Paul did, the one who writes this letter. So they were saved because they heard the gospel through the word. And they were growing in their faith because of the word. Look in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You received the word. So the Thessalonian church consisted of people who took the word of God seriously. In other words, they were not flippant about God's word. If you jump on to chapter 2, verse 13, uh, it says, And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, listen to this, you accepted it not as the word of man. This is not the word of man. But is what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Have you accepted the Bible as the word of God and not the word of man? So even though they were under persecution, think about it. You know, we complain about things that are happening in the country and this and that. But think about it. The, 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 they were probably, their church was under persecution, a persecution that we, we do not know of. But the word of God was at the center of everything that they did. So are you flippant about God's word? Do you take God's word seriously? At home, at church, do you realize that God's word is working? You know, Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active. You see, the scripture, the word of God, has been given by God ultimately to save people, really to lead people to faith and salvation. And the word of God has been given to make us, to make believers more spiritually mature. In other words... We cannot have salvation and we cannot have spiritual maturity if we are not using God, the Word of God. Do you realize that? Now, do you realize that you could walk in a library full of thousands and thousands of books and not a single one of them is like this book right here? The Bible really is the, is the only book in the entire universe that will rightfully and spiritually convict people. Like you see again the language. See the language in verse 5. It says it say that our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So, so that's the only thing that was convicted is, is the word of God. So mid church. My friends, 
I want to encourage you to make sure that God's Word continues to drive everything that you do here. The Word of God has to be the driver of everything that we do in our homes, yes, and in the church. You know, later on, uh, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to his associate Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So in other words, you know, God's Word is able. It is able and sufficient to save us. And God's Word is able and sufficient to mature us because it teaches us, it reproves us, it trains us, it equips us to do the work of God. And let me say this, you know, more than ever, more than ever, at least in my, in my lifetime, you know, God's people in general, we need to stand firm on the Word of God. Because our culture, you know, our culture, our culture is, re, is assaulting, our culture is opposing, challenging, and rejecting, you know, the biblical standards of God more and more and more and more every single day. But oh, how we must be unwavering. How we must be uncompromising on being directed by God's word. So there, really, really, this means that we have to be bold. You know, we have to boldly stand on the word of God. We have to boldly believe the word of God. We have to boldly obey the word of God. We have to boldly defend the word of God. And we have to boldly proclaim the word of God. Oh, let us not, let us not compromise the truth of Scripture. Let us not compromise on our biblical convictions with all the pressure in this world. A healthy church is always striving to be gospel-centered, word-driven, and mission-minded to the glory of God. A healthy church is mission-minded. Now, when I, when I talk about being mission-minded, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you guys talk about mission here a lot. I mean, we just heard uh, from a couple on the mission field, and I know uh, this is something that's not new to you. So we know that before Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, he gave his disciples what is known as the Great Commission, uh, which is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 19. Uh, it says there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the reality of the matter is that Jesus left a mission for the church. You know, the task or the mission, which is the reason that churches exist to begin with, is to make disciples for Christ, to proclaim the gospel and to bear witness to Christ. Look in verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and to Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. In other words, the, the Thessalonian church, they had a reputation. They were a missional church. They made it their mission to preach the gospel in the region where they were, and they made it their mission to preach the gospel in the region immediately surrounding them, and they made it, and it says in the text there, that their faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So how I praise God, you know, for the reality that this church, Mitri Church, is a mission-minded church. I mean, the, the word, I was like getting on uh, your website, and it's like right on the front page. You see the word missional there, you know? Praise God that this church is concerned about the spread of the gospel, yes, in Columbus, Georgia, in Harris County, and also immediately, really, around the world. I know that you have a sweet couple, you know, Jackie and uh, Josh. They'll be going on, uh, on the mission field pretty soon. You know, that's something to celebrate. And uh, also, the reason I'm here preaching today, you know, as you heard from Jimmy earlier, uh, Pastor Will and Jimmy and I think Bennett, they were supposed to be in Africa on mission. So praise God and celebrate that, you know, that this church is missional. So if the church is missional or mission-minded, what is the implication for you guys? In other words, what is the implication personally? Like, personally, what is the implication for you? Well, three implications I want you to consider. If you are a Christian and if you are a member of this church. Implication number one. Uh, everybody, every member should really consider uh, giving towards the mission of God. Uh, every, every member should consider giving towards the mission of God. Now, when you talk about giving, we're talking about giving of your resources, yes, but also giving of your time. That's, that's also important. Uh, and then implication number two, uh, every church member or any Christian is that you should consider going to the mission field, going, yes, 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 going. You know, like when we hear about going, it's something that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Like, going, you want me to go? And it makes people uncomfortable. But let's consider it. It's a command from God. It's a command from our Lord. We should at least seriously consider it. Implication number three, we should pray for the mission of God. And as I say about, as I talk about praying for the mission of God, let me say this also. So when I talk about mission, don't get me wrong now. I'm not, I'm not saying that 
mission means international. Mission also is local. So you can be on mission while you're in Columbus, Georgia. Or you can be on mission while you're in Michigan or Minnesota or wherever you are. And uh, so that's something that everybody really needs to consider, myself included. I'm not excluded. Um, so anyhow, that, that's a little three things to consider for you guys. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus encourages his disciples to pray. He encourages them to pray for the mission. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to them, to the disciples, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. When you look around, when you turn the television on, does it not seem like the world is harassed and helpless? Does it not seem like the world is like sheep without a shepherd? So pray. Do you pray often to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into the harvest field? Oh, church, never get tired of praying for the mission of God. A healthy church is always striving to be gospel-centered, word-driven, and mission-minded. But why? Why be gospel-centered? Why be, mis- be gospel-centered and why be uh, word-driven and why be mission-minded? And the answer is very simple. To the glory of God. The first question in the Westminster Lodge Catechism, I love, I love it. It says, what is the chief and the highest end of men? What is the chief and highest end of men? And the answer reads, men's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. Glorify God. To the Romans, in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul writes, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him. Be glory forever. Amen. To the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything that you do, Christian, whether you are at home, whether you are at work, whether you are at church, everything, everything that you do, do it all to the glory of God. The chief and the highest end for everyone is for you and me to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But oh, how we must guard, how we must guard ourselves from seeking our own glory. Brothers and sisters, 
my dear friends, you know, we must be very, very, very cautious of religious vanity. Because when we are gospel-centered, when we are word-driven, when we are mission-minded, we must not fall into the trap or the temptation of doing it so that people can see how awesome of Christians we are or how talented we are or how clever we are. But we are to do everything, 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 everything that we do. We are to do it all for the glory of God alone. Because when everything, when everything is said and done, our goal is to point people to our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Ultimately for His glory and not ours. Because salvation and glory and power belongs to our God. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him all Let's give him all the glory. Let's pray. God, we come to you to thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the reality that we just looked at. God, thank you for showing us that a healthy church is always striving to be gospel-centered, word-driven, and mission-minded to the glory of God. But God, we realize that Apart from you, we can do nothing, God. We can't do any of this. We can't do any of it without your help, God. So, God, I pray. I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for whoever is watching uh, that you would help us to, to be these things and help us to honor you and to glorify you, God, in everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.